So we're, we're bringing some of that thinking in and how do we use materials to affect cooling um, regimes? How do we use materials to either heat up the body or cool down the body, depending on the thing, uh, what we want? Because, you know, if you're a sprinter, you're a short, sharp effort and you want to ensure that you're ready to go, that your muscles are warm. G'day Legends and welcome back to the Pressing Podcast presented by Zwift. Good to have you back for another episode. What are we? 60 something? I can't remember. Um, I haven't even done the Instagram card yet, but it's 60 something. Pretty damn cool. How good was last week's episode with Mads Pedersen? I think it was the most messages I've received after one amp um, for that episode. So really cool that you guys love that one. And um, yeah, sometimes I record these ones you know, a few months in advance and I kind of forget um, if they were really good or not. And um, yeah, you guys, your feedback was really cool. So thanks to everyone who sent me a message. And if you haven't listened to it already, guys, what are you doing? Just listen to it. It's so good. Mads is the champion and um, he's actually a good sniff at winning Milano San Ramo this weekend. Which, by the way, shout out to my great friends, still my best friends ever, Doug and Sarah. They're getting married this weekend. I'm the best man. And hey, isn't it perfect? Saturday night, Milano San Ramo. By the time I get home, they should be on the podio. So that just works perfectly. But of course, the wedding is the most important thing. Um, what else happened? Oh, yes. We had a huge criterium here in Perth. Uh, we had our Perth Crit Championship, basically, and we had it in the centre of the city in a little place called Northbridge. It was amazing. The um, Yeah, the racing was just so elite. Check out the reel on my on the Press Room Podcast Instagram. It kind of gives you an idea of how at least the men's went. Michael Freeberg took the win, absolutely stomping, and Lucy Fitches took the win in the women's A grade as well um, with some great teamwork from Mackenzie Couplin. But uh, your legends... Today's guest, okay, we're sticking with the Australian theme, okay? Today's guest, something a bit different. If you love your racing, if you love your track cycling, uh, if you're into the aerodynamics, if you're into performance, high performance, training, everything, then you'll love this one, okay? We have the Director of Engineering Excellence and Performance for the Australian cycling teams, and that is, of course, Paul Collins. Now, when I say teams, I mean all the disciplines. So Paul manages all of that stuff along with the teams underneath him to make sure that the Australian cycling setups in the high-performance realm are the best and the best and challenging for medals um, and championships. So we dive in to all the interesting stuff. We're talking about the aerodynamic tech on the track, you know, the bikes, the skin suits, the helmets, all those goodies. What have Australian, what's the Australian team working on? Um, we talk about training applications, you know, and how the teams are training these days, how they're tracking their training load, managing their stress, all this sorts of stuff. Not only for the road and track, but also on the BMX downhill mountain biking front. We talk about the engineering of the equipment, how they work with their sponsors to try and make this fastest stuff and keep up with the big dogs, say, on the track, like Denmark, the Kiwis, etc. Um, and we also talk about what Paul learned from a recent conference where all the high-performance coaches um, across all sports, like basketball, tennis, Cirque du Soleil, Formula One, they were all in one room and they were just picking each other's brains. So he had some really cool takeaways from that that he shared with us. So Paul, he's an absolute legend. I met him at Nationals when I was commentating, uh, I think, the TTs. And he came up to me when I mentioned the POC helmet, that sort of spaceship-style helmet. I said on the stage, I said, you know, it's one of the fastest helmets going around, and it is. And Paul came up to me and he goes, well, actually... It depends on who's wearing it. And I said, my friend, you know what you're talking about. And from then on, we stayed in touch. And hey, we put this episode together last week. So I reckon you guys will really love it. Now, before we get into that episode, okay, legends, of course, got to thank the sponsors, you know. As another podcast says, keep the roof over my head. Love it. Uh, big shout out Smith Optics, okay, love them. Absolutely love Smith Optics. The Questers are a casual pair that I have now that I own. So good that one of my friends, Rob, he is getting a pair too. They are so sick. Check out the Questers online and they are just the perfect little casual number um, for getting around town. And um, Cyclic, I'm wearing my Cyclic t-shirt right now and, um, you know, one of the workers, one of the general managers of Cyclic is Michael Freeberg who won 
the Perth crit that I just mentioned earlier. Check out Cyclic now that the light is starting to fade. It's getting darker before you get up for your bunchies now, guys. Um, and also when you're riding home from work. So make sure you get a really good solid set of lights and then one that has a camera on it to record everything you need to keep safe on the road. And that's the Cyclic Fly 6 and Fly 12. I have them. I don't ride around with shit, guys. I only ride around with the best stuff. And, um, you know, Cyclic, the flies are just awesome products and they work. It's terrific. And finally, Legends, Attacker, okay? Attacker, the apparel sponsor of the podcast, okay? I'm. Let's do some giveaways. I know I've been saying this for ages, but this is the giveaway episode, at least the first one, all right? I've got a box of Attacker socks and they are elite socks. We're talking white, black, just the crisp classics okay now i want to give these away i'm going to say three pairs for this episode okay so three pairs if you're listening right now and you're barefoot well guess what i can solve that all you need to do leave a review on either google or apple for the podcast for tpr leave a review you can give whatever stars you like of course five is preferred um, and you have to write something, okay? You've got to write something funny. You've got to write something that references back to an old pod or just something that I might like because I'm going to pick out the three best ones, okay? And I will send you a pair or maybe two of Attacker's Mint Socks. All right, legends, that is all the talking. Let's get stuck into the wizard, okay? Paul Collins, he's the man behind the high performance of Australian cycling Hope you guys love this one. Thanks to Zwift, of course, presenting sponsor of the podcast. And I'll see you on the next episode. Your role uh, at Oz Cycling, so everyone knows what you're uh, a master in. Yeah, so, yeah, my official title is Director of Engineering Excellence. And what that actually means is I look after all equipment, apparel, data, and innovation for the Australian cycling team across our disciplines. So road, track, BMX-free, BMX race, like, yeah, I have purview over all our disciplines. And, yeah, really cool, actually. So we get to see great diversity of athlete and a great diversity of discipline. Mm. Do, do you know if any other nations have, a like, a, a your role in their national setups too? Because that, it seems that you... It's broad. Um, so there's... Variations of like in in for example, we've all heard of Dan Bingham, who's really good as uh, a performance engineer or um at Ineos slash Team GB. So there's like elements that he does that I do. Um, and then every nation has a variation of. I suppose my role was kind of created post-Tokyo to help with how we design, develop, and control the ecosystem that we work within. And part of it is because we're getting so technologically advanced, right? Bikes are not just the simple thing they were a few years ago. There is a lot of intense engineering. There's sensors on the body, there's sensors on the bike. It's it's evolving. It's a great landscape to be in. And then if you take that across all our disciplines, uh, like BMX Free is like this untapped resource of bike design, right? It's still pretty young in its evolution when you can compare it to track where we put huge amounts of emphasis on fluid dynamics and interaction effects. So, yeah, it, it's a broad role. I've got a phenomenal team that work with me. So it's just not just me. There's quite a few. We've got mechanics. We've got service course managers. We've got data scientists in the background as well. We've got a design engineers, a um, couple of design engineers coming on board shortly. So it's, it's a really good team, a really focused team. Um, yeah, and we're multidisciplinary if you think about it from a, a cycling point of view. So uh, we all work across multiple disciplines. We're not the same. Um, so we'll have a crossover between track and BMX race. Um, there might be some crossover between power and road and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's is it the same as someone else? No, because every nation has their own play on it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you could pick people at different places who do similar things. Mm, okay. Did you uh, read um, Dan Bingham's book? No, I haven't read that. I've listened to a few podcasts, but I haven't read his book yet. Yeah, he's got a podcast. Yeah, his, his book, um, Start From The End, I think it's called. It's quite an interesting book. He shares um, quite a bit. It's definitely, I'm sure some of our audience have listened to it, but um, well, read it. Yeah. But yeah, well, first topic I think we should talk about is um, 
let's start on the track. Um, and maybe specifically the teams with suit, I just think, especially for Australian and New Zealand fans, is probably the two biggest cohorts, um, and the US as well, of the pod. Um, very yeah. keen teams with suit. The Kiwis, I'm sure the Kiwis listening will just be like, oh, this is it. You know, they, yeah, maybe even the high performance managers that are listening, you know. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, I'll be careful I'll, what I say then. <laughs> I'll give some tips from the US team that I spoke to last week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one thing I'm always interested is interested in is the like the technical clothing, the skin suits, and all those sort of things. And um, like skin suits, the socks. Well, it's not even socks these days, is it? It's aero shoe covers. It seems to be. Yeah, over shoes. Yeah, over. Like I, I think I changed the terminology back and forth. So. Our sponsors, Santini, probably are uh, really frustrated with me because I go over shoes, aero boots. Aero, yeah, I, I'll probably have three names for it. What the are the Santini ones called? Aero boots. Aero, boot, aero booties, I suppose. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I kind of, as I said, I've probably got three names for it in different emails and <laughs> yeah. all referring to the same thing. Yeah. Well, because the... we're doing a huge, yeah. I was going to say, because we are doing a huge amount of development at the moment, obviously, in the lead up to Paris. So it's kind of like, yeah, lots of conversations around what these things are and what they do. Mm. What With the aero booty, is it like, is there a particular, like what's more important? Is it how the, how the air flow interacts with like the foot part or the, you know, like the, the stump or uh, leg? Yeah. It's the so, same, yeah. Yeah, it's messy, right? Let's just put it that way. The the cranks and around the cranks is just messy. But that being said, the between the ankle and the and the knee is kind of stable because it when you think about a pedal revolution, your foot the long so the from the ankle to the toes is kind of moving quite a lot and you've got a little bit of articulation depending on the individual. But from the ankle to the knee, it is kind of just a cylinder in space to a certain respect. So it has a big effect. Um, and so you do look at the design. Uh, and we're seeing a huge amount of development like from companies like Voltec or Santini or um, sock manufacturers. I think, what's that company? I think it was like a Danish sock manufacturer that had like 750 euro socks. It was crazy. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, yes. I read the article just going, that's insane. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a huge amount. Like, people wouldn't dedicate their time to it if there was nothing in it. Mm, mm, absolutely. And it, like, yeah, with so the, with the shoe underneath, the, oh, obviously the shoe they're wearing, that probably plays a big part as well. Like, if you've got yeah. bold aisles, you know, you don't have bold aisles on track shoes anymore. I wouldn't have thought uh some do like and, and we have interesting discussions with some athletes about you know what they should be thinking about because some athletes more so on the road um than on the track because the track are really focused on people um but some of our road athletes especially in the tt we're kind of like do you reckon you could change your shoe and it's like can we have the chat with your sponsor can we look for a solution because you're right you know massive boa dials hanging off the side aren't phenomenal you want to have a, a, a pretty consistent morphology as you go across the surface mm, like adam hansen used to run the bold aisle i think he had like with his custom shoes yeah. he had it uh, he had it at the back and then he got it underneath underneath yes it's, it's clever actually yeah it is um i don't know how about walking on it like you know when you're off the bike but you know if you're making your own shoes doesn't matter you can yeah. just produce another set you just get wheeled around somewhere like in a little um heelys that's probably yeah. <laughs> the next evolution in bike design heelys um i mean we saw at the the, the teams were suit at the olympics uh tokyo and denmark and they had the tape oh best thing ever i love that innovation like it was such a good idea because dollars per watts saved like the, the amount of cash we spend on teams pursuit and every nation's the same it is an expensive mm. discipline mm. but it is the formula it is kind of like the formula one right of cycling it is all out no holds yeah. barred racing against other teams other individuals so it's really cool but when you think about what the danes did and, and that's a dan bingham innovation right there yeah, yeah. um you know you're just changing the surface texture of the shin to affect the boundary layer and what what's a 
thing of rock tape with a couple of bucks at the chemist, all right? It's it's awesome. It's uh yeah, it's incredible. If you haven't uh seen it, just Google Denmark Teams Pursuit tape. And all they did was they just put like, like that sort of the exercise tape, yeah. just, you know, rock tape, and just on the front part of the shin. Um, and that's I seem like that's hitting the air's hitting that shin straight on. And then I guess it's because it's a nice, like a, a nice surface, it just it changes the bendy layer, yeah, and right. and and it kind of trips the airflow. But that being said, did you see last weekend Parco? Where was he? Is one of the um, races? He had a um, knee warmers, full length aero oh, knee warmers. Yes, yeah, um, so, Taco Vanderhorn. Yeah, yeah. There's some images online. I'm like, how long before the UCI come out and ban that one? Oh, like yeah, we were kind of laughing about it um, on the weekend. There's still plenty of grey areas like that left, and and riders like that can, um, yeah, especially Tarko is looking for every sort of yeah because he's off the front right. That's his kind of mo is to kind of jump off the front. So mm-hmm. any anything saved in you know a hundred kilometers is something saved. Like that's just him on the front for another period of time. Mm, that's one of the reasons why. He's so um, he's like a specialist at like two hundred kilometer stages, you know. And that's if you're off the front for hundred fifty of that. That's where it well, it all adds up. Yeah, it does. Um, and the skin suits, skin suits is always an interesting one. It seems to be something that's, especially in the last ten years, changed like dramatically. It used to just be okay, tiny skin suit, you know, uh, as tight as possible. But now it seems like across track, road, um, and and cross country mountain bike as well, it's like the materials. Um, and where they're placed on the skin suit seem to be the biggest focus these days. Yeah, we we come at it from very much a systems point of view. So it's not just the skin suit, but everything. So you've got to think about the whole system. You've got the athlete, you've got the bike, you've got the skin suit, you've got the helmet, um, and then you've got some interaction effects such as time. So the reason we consider time is because the longer you're out on the bike, say cross-country mountain biking or road or even TT, because they all kind of have similar problems, is thermal, thermoreg. So if you're in a super tight skin suit that doesn't breathe, your core temperature is going to rise. Uh, and that has a flow and effect of performance. And, you know, we've seen that with world hour records. We've seen that with um, other endurance sports as well. So we, we're bringing some of that thinking in. And how do we use materials to affect cooling um, regimes how do we use materials to either heat up the body or cool down the body depending on the thing uh what we want because you know if you're a sprinter you're a short sharp effort and you want to ensure that you're ready to go that your muscles are warm that sort of stuff but if you're doing an endurance event such as you know a 200 kilometer stage race the material properties change so depending on the event having sport-specific or discipline-specific materials makes big sense. And then if you're in a team pursuit or TT, yeah, you want to really look at those boundary layer effects on the arms, on the shins, how the airflow moves over the body. You want to reduce that skin friction as much as possible overall. Um, And then we know that like that crazy helmet from Sweet Protection that came out a couple of weeks ago as well. Oh, the X. Yeah, you know X um, and how they've, because there's a really cool video that comes out, I think it was today or yesterday, talking about the design and development of that Mm -hmm. and how they're thinking about the integration of the airflow from one side of the body to the next part to the next part. Mm -hmm. And that's we all think the same way. We all come up with our unique individual solutions. And at the same time, we're talking about a lot of different body morphologies. So if you look across the Australian team, We've got, you know, some really good units like uh, Sam Wellsford and Connor Leahy, who are two big guys, but different body morphologies, all the way through to Georgia Baker and Alex Manley, who, again, very different. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. You can have your kind of theories and your applications, but it's not, yeah, it's not a singular answer. And so this is where individualization comes into play. This is where understanding the individual and the athlete and what they're trying to achieve and how we actually create a unique solution within our constraints Mm. um, works out. Mm. Would you, for like a, I mean, to me, it makes, and we've seen it, say on the road, we've seen it a bit more, it seems like most road stages these days, the riders are wearing 
skin suits or like like the sort of Roubaix suit where you can open the chest up. Yeah. It seems like does it is there even a place, do you think, for at least on for trying to maximize performance for wearing the bibs and the jersey in like a long endurance race? It's a good question. And I think it's more an athlete specific question because it comes down to comfort. Mm. Um and I did see where was it? I think it might have been like a GCN podcast, to be honest. Um, was they were doing a comparison between skin suits and bib and brace and and a standard jersey. I I think it was GCN. Um, we can go for that one later. Of their videos. Yeah, just one of their videos, and they were talking about yeah, is there a difference between a really good fitted skin suit and a really good set of jersey bib and brace? And mm. I think ultimately, when you're talking about some of this stuff in the bunch. It is kind of comfort level stuff. Yeah. Um, if you're, you know, sprinting, yeah, hunt block, I think there's a place for that. If you're climbing mountains, I think there's a place for that. Yeah. It's it's really again this individualization. What does the athlete want? What are the demands of the event? And where do we go to from there? Mm. Have you have you worked with any athletes so far that like have those sort of um like those sort oh, of questions? Yeah. So I, I funnily enough, I we debate um we've got some new prototypes in action at the moment and literally i got some messaging the other day from one of the one of the crew and she was like adamant like and this is how specific it was it was like we need to change the chamois like i just need a new chamois um and so first thing we did was like okay that's cool how do we actually vary that up so then we went to Santini and go, like, what do you think? Can we do this or that? And they're like, yeah, cool. We can we can implement that change. So it was a really simple thing to do. But it has a bigger f- performance benefit for the athlete because they're comfortable, they're happy. So, yeah, again, going back to that systems view, it's not all about just being fast, but we also need to keep in mind that these people are doing a lot of Ks on the bike. And, and actually, how do we increase that comfort level to ensure they're in the best possible position? Mm, yeah well when you're setting out prototypes for example a skin suit what yeah. are some of the instructions that you might say to the athletes um when you're sort of looking for feedback what are you telling them once you give them that garment literally it's like be raw and honest like don't hold back it's what works what doesn't work how does it feel um so we send out a survey like so we're quite structured about it it's not just a, a verbal back and forth that's really important but we take photos uh we do like mapping across the body we actually send out a survey on an app um that we developed where the athlete will actually give specific feedback on specific locations and then we overlay that with like track performance data physiological data as well so we try to have a multifactorial view of how any element or skin suit in this case works because we are looking for specific benefits depending on the application you know is it comfortable is it cooling is it warming is it aero is it like you know or we might be trying different things like we might have two skin suits and then just very one thing and kind of get that really feedback so some things we tell the athletes about to test and then some things we tell them in hindsight to remove any bias Mm. because sometimes if you give a prototype and you tell them exactly what it is there's a preconception that they'll start to think about Mm -hmm. and so having no information at the start and then tell them what is happening at the end you can actually have some really meaningful conversations and it's about balancing when you do and don't do that sort of stuff mm. yeah that's super interesting okay so there's um, a huge amount of psychology around engineering right let's just <laughs> there is a massive amount of psychology in product development and engineering and deploying concepts out into the world mm. it reminds me of um just before reminded me about a story that Adam Hansen once told, and this is funny because he was really uh, so ahead of his time in terms of um, like aerodynamics and like what he thought was right. And I think it was like 20 years ago when he was writing early days for Lotus Sudal and they, he wanted a skin suit, one piece and, and the, whatever brand it was that they were doing at the time was probably for Mark. They said, nah, we can't make one. And he's like, well, it's faster and I want one. So he got someone else to, well, he asked him, he goes, what if I get one made and then we put all the team sponsors on it exactly like the team kit design? And they said, no, we can't use another sponsor. And he goes, fine. So he went out and got the suit made 
one piece with all the sponsors on it and he raced it for two years and his team didn't even know. <laughs> team didn't crazy. Even know. He just went and made his own skin suit and put the Vermark logo on or whatever it was. And um, <laughs> that's how stubborn he was. But I always remember that. And and I think this is one of the good things about manufacturing now, like as opposed to like back then, is yeah. we can do a lot more bespoke or customized manufacturing. There's a lot more people open to that. Mm. Uh, and that's that's across all products, right? Like you can get a custom bike, a hand-built bike easily, right? That's a really easy thing, you know, whether it's a Borm Cycles or Sugarloaf up in Queensland or wherever it may be, like getting a performance road bike to your exact specification is actually quite easy. Mm. And we're seeing this customization more so in, in mass consumer products like um like you can get t-shirts out of sydney that are you know you take three or four key measurements across your body plug into this website in sydney and out pops the t-shirt a few weeks later yeah. like to your to your exact specs obviously where we're at in the performance domain is we've got a little bit easier access and so what people are seeing now is what we've been playing around with a few years and it's those pioneers like Adam who kind of pushed that and now it's kind of the norm. You know, we have standard product and we have customised product mm. and it depends on on the application, right, and what the event is to when we deploy this sort of stuff. Mm. What about on the for, the for the sprint in the track? What are some of the, like, most important things that you're focusing on now with... Um, in terms of performance for the sprint, because right now, I mean, in my opinion, you've got the fastest uh, male sprinter in the world. I think he's better than Harry um, in Matty Richo. Yeah, Richo's solid. Like, he's got he's, some runs on the board. And he's coming up too. I yeah. think Harry's starting the plateau of some couple golden years, but I reckon Richo will surpass him coming oh, up. Look, it's going to be an amazing battle. Like, yes. let's be fair, like Glasgow, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong, right? Oh. Like, between the men's team sprint, which we've got some amazing stuff happening there, and then yeah. obviously just Richo in general, and but also with the top, like you know Tom did really well yep, at course, Jakarta. Yeah. You know he had a really good outing. Mm-hmm. You know Maddie G's back in the play. You know we've got a really great sprint team, and let's not forget um, Lee Hoffman. Right? That's right. The four. There's four. Yeah, four, and then you know. In, in there as well, we've got Nathan Hart, right? You know, two-time Olympian, still in the mix. Mm. So we've got this amazing dynamic at the moment with, you know, this this team of male sprinters, mm. which awesome. So what do we think about? It's some of the same things, right? It's still an aero-dominated event. Yeah. Uh, you know, these guys are, you know, no doubt athletes, phenomenal athletes, right? You see them in the gym lifting oh. weights. Like, yeah, yeah, and if anyone wants to see big weights, just get onto the the boys' Richo's Instagram Insta. accounts. Yeah, all of their yeah. Yeah, like Lee, are. Richo, Tom, they're all on it, right? They are um, moving obscene amounts yeah. of weight for their body weight. Like it's they're big. Like even though Richo is not tall, he's a big guy, right? Like yeah. he's. Um, and so you're right. Like we've got this really exciting period, and and we've got this, you know, with Nathan and Maddie, great so these elder statesmen as well. Like they, we've got this really cool. Thing happening mm. and it's exciting to be on the inside and watching and i at the you sometimes got to take a step back and go wow we've got something really cool happening here like because i see it day to day but yeah take that step back and look at it go hang on we've got like some really hitters some really good hitters mm. and and so how do we enable these five to do their thing right so how do we and the same thing it's arrow like so they're still on the bike. It's just for a lot shorter time, but a lot higher speeds. Oh, so crazy. the drag effect actually, you know, is different because it is a higher speed. You know, these guys are hitting 80K in some respects around the track. And and like most of us don't hit 80K on a bike unless we're going downhill. Yeah. These guys are doing it from a standing start. Like it's crazy. It is. Wild. So it's the same thing. We're still looking at helmet interactions. We're still looking at skin suit interactions. We're still looking at, you know, the customization um, we're still looking at equipment and how do we have really robust equipment to compete with the demands of that sprint event? Mm. Yeah, it's oh, it's so exciting. I love the the track sprint. Is just also team sprint is great, but I just love the match sprint. The, the one yeah, it's especially now that you have this um, this kind of heavyweight battle as well at the top. You know, it's like heavyweight boxing. They're just well. You know, I- 
Oh, look, and let's be fair, Jakarta was an interesting thing because obviously they they got a flat right. So here we are. You know, the the, the boys came out strong. And then in the final, obviously, there's the flat in Australia one. So you can't tell me that, you know, the next event, it ain't going to be like on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's frustrating for them, right? It is literally the Dutchies must be so frustrated with the oh, fact that yeah. there was a flat, right? And it's just like it's it's an anticlimax in this in this context, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're going to be frustrated. They're going to want to come out. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you're right. It's an exciting time for sprint. Yeah. And it's a team that's won, I mean, part, until last year, they'd won like every team sprint, the Dutch, that they touched in like, I don't know, I think it was like six or seven years or something. Like, yeah, it it's crazy. Yeah, and then the you know, the Aussie boys came up and stopped that run. Um, next one I want to talk about is obviously uh, like what's it? Well, actually, one thing I was always interested in a couple of years ago, maybe it was the last Olympics or the Olympics before this, um, and the sort of each year at the World Cups and the World Champs leading up to um, leading up to the previous Olympics or the one before, I can't remember. But the GB, Great Britain used to, there was all this talk around this, you know, they would only really turn up for the last World Champs before the Olympics and mm-hmm. they would bring in the aero package. That was, they'd always call it this aero package upgrade, like, like F1 yeah. do, you know. And I always thought like, you know, one, a team's, still doing that does australia do that and also wouldn't you just want to run the fastest stuff if you have it all the time just so you get used to it there's a chicken and egg debate here right so yeah. yes to put it bluntly we are all playing games okay <laughs> and and you know to be fair we all have to debut our technology before at glasgow at the latest right so for paris we need to declare for the track every single piece of equipment we're going to use. And so, yeah, so, and and we have to declare it, we have to use it in competition, and then it's got to be commercially available next year as per UCI regulations. So why are we running the fastest thing all the time? We're doing different things all the time. So what we're trying to do, and look, and it's, it's, it's what everyone else is doing as well, like, we we have to use our stuff in competition. Our athletes have to get comfortable with it. We are debating new concepts. Mm-hmm. It's when, where, where, and how we deploy is is kind of an art form. And so I'll, I'll leave it there for the most part. But yes, there are, there are F1 style upgrades. We are trialing new things all the time. You'll see things pop up here and there. Um, but you'll see a lot, I feel, in Milton. Uh, for the track mm. and Glasgow they're kind of the two probably key things that you know eagle eyes if you're watching what's going on you'll start to see things like error upgrades across multiple teams and I'll give you a really good example so if you could refer back to the world champs last year in France mm. the French team team pursuit was five seconds faster than they were at the Euros this year so in a space of three or four months, we'll call it, they lost five seconds. Now, you don't lose that much time in a team pursuit with similar individuals, right? Yes. And if you compare that to the Italians, so at the World Champs to the Euros, there was only one and a half second difference, which is more periodization. Mm. So we know roughly to a certain extent that France probably had a fair chunk of F1-style upgrades mm. at their home world champs than they brought to the Euros for three and a half months later. Mm, wow. That's so a... just think about that. When when you think about, okay, who's doing what, yeah, you kind of see games that are being played. Mm. Oh, that's bloody fascinating. Um, on to, like, so let's talk about training applications now for, say, um, track and road. I, I, yeah. Until when we say training applications, what I mean is like you know how people, how athletes are training now, how the you know how um, yeah how the training is today. What's what's some of the major things that you've noticed um, that have changed in terms of how athletes are now training, uh, both on the bike and off the bike. I mean that's probably one of the big. Things. Yeah, it's a really good one. So rest is key, right? So not just about doing volume um but rest and and we've got a 
a really great endurance training scientist. We've actually got a, quite a few good scientists in the domain. So, you know, we've got Peter Leo. And, and for those who haven't seen, Peter's a really, uh, really good guy. He's on Twitter. Um, look him up. Yeah. He's also published fairly well and he's had a, a fair bit of exposure. And he does a lot of our sort of load response for our endurance team. And then we've got a really cool couple of cool guys in the BMX space and also in the sprint space as well. So we've got sort of discipline-specific experts in the training domain, and they kind of sit in a, an adjacent team to my team. Hmm. How does the how's the recovery um, measured? How do you measure all these things? Yeah, so things like you know obviously RPE, um, daily surveys, heart rate variability, that sort of stuff. So yeah, and and we are looking at that. We do track the data um you know we have regular check-ins with our athletes so if you think about the australian we'll split this up a little bit because you get the australian endurance track team and our road team and then you've also got like the sprint team so our sprint team is a residential program in adelaide yep. um whereas our pursuit team or a, a track endurance team so like bunch racing matters matto omnium team pursuit individual pursuit stuff most of those crew are now Euro pros. Mm. So if you look at the predominant, like if you look at Maeve, Georgia, Alex, Euro pro, you got Cal, you've got Sam, both in Europe. You know, we've got some really good, really good hitters who are making an absolute killing on the road. Like, you know, Cal white jersey yesterday. That's like, right. yeah, that's you right. know, how's that, right? You know, smashes the triple T with bling. Yes. And um and comes out with a white, which wasn't part of the plan, but nonetheless, awesome to see young yeah. young hitters having a crack in Europe, right? Yeah. And that's part of our philosophy is having this distributed program going forward. And there's a lot of other examples of it working really well. So when we look at training philosophies is, okay, how do we balance that Euro road season with track specificity? Yeah. So that's that's one thing. Uh, yeah. How do you, how can they be on for the entire year, which they can't, right? So we we need to prioritize this. Like we need to understand when the ebbs and flows are. So if right now, let's take Cal for an example, massive roadblock. Mm. How do we get him to think about the year? So we've got this massive roadblock for Cal. He's doing the classics. He's having a great time, um, doing really well, like super proud of, of his efforts so far. But there's going to be a point where he has to come down, right? And and so we talk about this this cycling of the athlete, and it is individualized, and that's why we have you know people like Peter and and others in the team who look after that and, and monitor it on a on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and understanding the load response and understanding that where they come up, they have to come down when we want them to peak. And at, for us, for the Australian cycling team, it is Paris, right? That's yeah. that's our end goal. And that's what we're marked on. But there's a few key points that we want to do really well in it. And for example, we want to be on show in Glasgow. We want to be moving forward because if we forecast forward, we're only nine years away from the single biggest sporting event Australia's probably seen in a long time. Yeah. So 2032 still sounds like a while away. But yeah. to be honest, it's in our psyche. It's It's in how we think now. How do we plan forward? How do we put things in place today that creates what we call a lasting champion. That, you know, we have these these athletes that come back and and perform not just week after week, but year after year. Mm. That's really fascinating. Um, the I'm, Do you think these days the, the lows in terms of, you know, when you have to, you're coming down from a peak, obviously you can't be up all the time. Do you think the low that you have to go down to is higher than what it used to be? It seemed like, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, or maybe even less than that, 20 years ago, you'd have to go right, tools down for let's go back down to zero, then we'll try and peak a little bit higher. But from what I can see, at least in the road scene now, it seems like the athletes maybe don't have to fall as far before they can start to build again. I think that's because we understand training science a lot better. Like if you think back in Phil Anderson days, I don't know if you're referring that quite far back. Yeah, well, but maybe, yeah. you know they used to obliterate themselves on the roads, right? Like they, used to, <laughs> like they're not thinking about sodium intakes or yes. like electrolytes or like you know, proper nutrition. So I think we can sustain higher loads now, mm. and and maybe our loads aren't as low. Mm. Um, 
But that being said, right, and again, I'll use Cal as an example because uh, we did a lot over the summer. To, we uh, love Cal. Cal's yeah. a bloody champion. And, yeah. But, you know, and I think you'll see there's a few things on Twitter or Insta or whatever that he was rocking up the local crit races um, after he got back from Europe and just kicking around a bunch, right? He wasn't, you know, he was just base case. Yeah. And then there was a comment, you know, he's like, he's only two good races around for mopping us up. Um, I think it was like a Brunswick or I don't know, <laughs> local club scene in Victoria here. And then what we saw was we we did a training camp in Adelaide. So a lot of the track team went to Adelaide and it was 40-something degrees in Adelaide this Saturday afternoon. And I saw Cal go from the back of the bunch. This is a, this is the state crit titles in Adelaide. From the back of the bunch to second wheel in a single lap. Oh. Like in in like it was a it was like kind of like a figure eight course where you didn't cross yeah. over, but it was like yeah, kind of double diamond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that that's horsepower, right? And Don't then what we saw, the strung out. Yeah, yeah, and he did. He strung out the bunch. This is forty something degree day. <laughs> And he's stringing them out. And then what we saw several weeks later was him win the national title. Yeah, I was there. I remember. Yeah. So, and like, you know, what, you put out like 1,100 watts for 40 seconds or what yeah, was it? That's, yeah, like, yeah, 1,100 for 35 with 1,400 watt peak. And yep. after like something like 380 normalized for 20 minutes in the break. Yeah. So, you know, insane numbers. So, are we dealing with a better athlete than we were in the 80s? Yes. Oh, yes. Right. Like, are we dealing with a better athlete than we were in the early 2000s? Yeah. yeah. But that's that's sports science. That's innovation. That's really a whole group of people creating a system around our athletes mm. to understand that system mm. and what works, what doesn't work, how do we understand load. So I think we're higher. And I, I would probably say, yeah, our lows aren't as low, mm. but we still need to come off. We still need to have the time where they're literally just kicking around, you know, the Melbourne streets going for bunchies on Beach Road. Yeah. For those who are local Melbourne, the, the old Beach Road run. <laughs> yeah, I've done you the know, Beach Road run. It's not bad. Everyone's, it's a ride of, it's a ritual lap, the old Beach Road run. <laughs> it was the first thing I did when I got to Melbourne for the first time. I was like, where's the Beach Road? Where is it? And yeah. is it on the weekend? So you start at St Kilda, you head down to Frankston, back up again if you want to go that far, or you know, Mentone or wherever you want to turn off. Yeah, it's it's a it's a rite of passage in Melbourne. It is a bit like the Boxing Day Papers here in WA on Boxing Day. Can't wait for this year. Actually, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, just on touching on that, yeah. I think, and I wonder if you agree with this. Do you think um, nutrition is obviously a big part of? Like yeah, improvements from an athlete perspective. You know, you're not eating an apple, you know, for your big ride anymore. It's or not even the old school 60 grams per carbs. That's what I learned in university was the 60 gram. You know, at high yeah. intensity, it seems like that's a lot higher these days. Of what athletes, can... it's individualized, right? So yeah. what works for one doesn't work for. You. Look, you know, if we, you know, I know you've had Plappy on a couple of times, right? What works for Plappy is not going to work for G, and mm-hmm. it's not going to work for Cal, right? So that's probably where we understand the system more. It is. You know, we have nutritionists on our team just to understand what athletes need. So we can give driven advice, but when needed, we can give really specific advice. Mm, yeah, that's true. It's not a blanket. Um, yeah, not a blanket yeah, look, approach. There's the heuristics of it, which is, you know, for the general, mass general population, but we're not talking about the general population. We are talking about the top 1% top of, the of all cycling talent globally. Mm. Like, And that's what I mean. Like if you think about what we're talking about is, a couple hundred people in a peloton, as a percentage of the world's population, that's not a lot. It's less than one percent, that's for sure. <laughs> like, and so we are we are dealing with individuals that sometimes don't subscribe to the norm. Who are, you know, we talked about you know Richo and the sprint guys lifting huge amounts of weight and being able to throw a bike around. We're talking about Cal being able to do eleven hundred watts over 35, 40 seconds, like. We might hit that for one or two seconds. It's just the average punter. Mm-hmm. But you got to think, you got to hold that. Like the lactic acid buildup mm. for that effort is phenomenal. The pain that most mere cyclists on the Sunday bunch would feel it would be crazy, right? And you could probably do that multiple, multiple times. So the surging, the off the front, oh. like, you know, it's crazy. 
Yeah. And you know, you know, Plappy chasing back on when Remco went off the front um, at UAE. Oh yeah. You know how much pain would Plappy have been in, right? Yeah, yeah. And then us trying to understand that is different again. Mm. Um, your conference, you're on. You went yeah. to Canada, Canada. So Canada and the US. So it was a bit of a yeah. Yes. So a couple Tell of cool things. So uh, a couple of different trips. So I was lucky enough to be invited to Cirque du Soleil to have a, a visit to their HP unit. Really? Yeah. So wow. that was really cool. So, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Cirque. I've seen yeah. multiple shows of theirs, both domestically and internationally. Wow. So when an opportunity came up to go, oh, do you want to visit Cirque? I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because when you think about performance, and athleticism maybe Cirque doesn't come first of mind but they are athletes and performers and and the amount of training they go through is phenomenal so part of it was looking at how does an adjacent uh, HP unit work so how do I what lessons can we learn from other disciplines Uh, and it's really good because you can have open free-range discussion right because you're not restricted by you know, one athlete versus another, you're actually looking at how a training system works. And and what was really interesting about Cirque was the ownership they gave to the athlete around their own training and the support mechanisms they put around them. Because they've got this massive conference or this massive um, campus in Montreal mm-hmm. and it's a one-stop shop. So with that is you've got this kind of everything from design, ideation, all the way through to shipping this final show. So when we were there, we saw the final preparation of their latest show, which comes out, I think, this week or last week. Hmm. So we kind of got a small snapshot of that. We saw them how they celebrate all their previous shows. So they've got this corridor, and and what they do is they've got a poster from every show they've ever produced. And and in at the end of that corridor, you kind of go to the design section where they do all their in-house production of, props costumes oh, from yeah. yeah and and then you've got another part of the building where they've got actually athletes training and to a lot of respects it kind of looks like our hp environment where you've got like massage you've got gym you've got advice you've got kitchens and all that sort of stuff so yeah a lot of similarities and a lot of takeaways but they also do some stuff that was really interesting around athlete monitoring about a daily wellness check-in and things like that. So it was really cool and lessons learned about how do we take some of that forward? What what do we do similarly? What do we do differently? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, look, an, an amazing opportunity to see what is world-class. Like, I would happily pay money to go see Cirque any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was just looking uh, up tickets to see when it's next in Perth, September. Yeah, there you go, right? And is, what's, is that the new show or is that? Cirque Soleil Cristal. Oh, no, the new one's called Echo. Um, okay. Yeah, and it's in Montreal. Yeah, it's either this week, I think it starts. Um, so, yeah. Wow. But, and literally seeing um, a handstand happen in front of you, like literally from, you know, not like metres away. Like, And they'll do doing some practising. So literally a guy will sit on the ground and next thing you know, this other gymnast is like one hand hand plant on this guy's head and it was just like to see it within a meter is just crazy like mm. just the athleticism and the strength needed to do that yeah actually when you see one of their shows i always found myself looking at them like i can't believe they're doing that they get to stuff it up soon they're going to fall over and they don't or they practice hard so we yeah. in, in that performance environment um they talk a little about rehab and prehab and mm. conditioning um, and you know, we're talking to the HP director about how many injuries do they have because we have injuries, right? Like, obviously, yeah, we've got a range of sports and people come off, and that's kind of bike racing. Um, yeah, it's, it's an inherent risk which we want to manage and we want to understand the return to play. You know, we want to get our, our athletes who are people at the end of the day mm. back on their bike or back in their healthy space as soon as possible. Mm. and Cirque was no different. Like, if they have an injury, how do they manage that? The other crazy thing is they have 14 different languages spoken in Montreal. So their Montreal complex, there's 14 different languages, and they employ translators to help out. So we're, we're lucky. We're, we're a single language entity. Oh, oh, well, our HP environment is. I'm, 
I have to uh, speak. Um, so I have to converse a little bit in Italian because three of our major sponsors okay. are Italian. So obviously there's that. But you know, in our day-to-day stuff, we're we're one single language. You got to circ. Their day-to-day is fourteen languages. That is insane. So the logistics and challenges around that is yeah. So that was really cool. And then we shot down to Boston. So we're doing a project with MIT in general. Uh, won't speak about it now, but there's some really cool stuff happening. Okay. Um, and talking about the future of sport in general. And part of that was an invite-only, what they call the sports summit. So I was hanging out with crew from FIFA, US Olympic and Paralympic Committee, Adidas, um, Arizona Diamondbacks, New England Revolution. So it was all these really cool people that were speaking to. NBA was there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a really good kind of melting pot. And um, obviously my boss, Jesse Koff, who's the performance director for Cycling, he was on the panel was there as well. And it was kind of like these really great conversations you can have in the hallways about just mm-hmm. performance. And like, you know, literally I, I was blunt with the US Olympic Committee. I'm like, is Chloe Diger coming back? And they're like, yeah, she's back on a bike. And I'm like, okay, you know, yeah. It, it's it's you know, there's a phenomenal athlete in a team's pursuit and a real threat to the Australian team's pursuit, right? Because she is in her own right, prior to the accident, like a phenomenal talent. Yes. All, all going well, she's back being a phenomenal talent, which is a great challenge for us, right? Because we need to, uh, you know, compensate for that. Jennifer, uh, uh, what is it? Um, I've gone blank on the name. Um, uh, Valente. Oh, Valente, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, so, you know, she's she's doing well. So you have these really interesting conversations. But at the same time, when I was talking to the US OPC, we had a chat about power athletes and mm. some of the challenges they have, and it's very similar to us. You know, we're talking about how do we track data? How do we um, – so there's big common challenges. Where is the frontier? What is the UCI doing? You know, because mm. we, we all love the UCI. And, <laughs> and, and you know, they're, they're trying to create a level playing field. But at the same time, I heard FIFA's perspective about a level playing field and, and you know, because they've got 210 member states. Yeah. And how do they, you know, deal with Team USA versus Australia as opposed to Ghana? Mm. Um, you know, having grown the game and, you know, similar things, but how do we grow the game? Mm. Uh, how do we grow the sport? Uh, you know, there was a really cool thing. And for me, um, coming into that environment, and like, I'm not a baseball fan, but I do love the film Moneyball. It's one of my favourite films. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Brad Pitt, yeah. Yeah. So the guy, Billy Bean, he was referenced. Like, So the guy from the Diamondbacks, who is kind of my equivalent uh, okay. for that organisation, was like, you know, how, and he referenced Billy Bean in the conversation, I'm like, that's crazy because this is a film that's, uh, what, 10 years old now? Mm-hmm. Billy Bean was a character, you know, uh, an individual who's now lo- working for Major League Baseball Central. But his impact on the game was so big that people still reference that impact. Mm. So mentioned it maybe three or four years ago for his own team. Yeah. So, yeah, the see these individuals have so much influence over a single game was crazy. Mm. And then, yeah, and then obviously hearing from other people about having, creating the space to innovate. So obviously we're a technology-driven sport for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I will say that for predominantly all our disciplines, even BMX-free, which um, is a, a creative discipline, yeah. we are still driven by data at the, at the end of the day. We are still driven by performance. And so listening to people about how do you create space to innovate? How do you create that mindset of finding unique solutions for, for you know, these top 1% of athletes? You know, you know, Logan Martin is just an amazing talent. And I don't know if people kind of realise what he does to get to where he is. Like he puts in some hard yards and in the team environment up in the Gold Coast where we've got Brandon. So, you know, let's put this in context. We've got two world champions mm-hmm. in Gold Coast challenging each other on a daily basis where they can. It's a great way to develop and get better. Yeah, right. And and so we've got, you know, essentially over the last four years, or four years, five years, we've got three of the last world, you know, three world championships up there. We've mm-hmm. got a gold medalist up there. 
you know, being in Logan, we've got this inv- performance environment where this creativity and challenging, it's like a an adult game of horse for those who played like, you know, basketball. Like, basketball, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's because, yeah. and get onto, Inst- if you want to see some really cool stuff, oh. get, get onto Logan and Jai yeah. and Brandon's Insta. Like, I'm on Brandon's one and it's, you see the tricks that he's doing previous, well, yeah, his whole, you go back yeah. and scan through it, it is ridiculous. Um, and Jai Tui, if you want to see some crazy Jai stuff. Tui. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jai Tui. Yeah, Jai Tui. Um, yeah, so it's cool, right? And, and and you kind of see this evolution of play and coaching, and it's peer coaching as well. So there's, there's some really cool things. But for us to be the world's best, we also need to innovate. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't stand still because we'd be silly to think that Team USA, GB, the Danes, the Dutch aren't also doing the same stuff we are. Mm-hmm. The French, like French love BMX race as well. So, you know, we talk about all the different disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we create synergies? Because there's only so many resources in any given system, right? If you look at any ecosystem, there's only so much. And so how do we learn from one discipline to another? How do I pull from like another discipline completely like Cirque and, and mm-hmm. bring it into the training environment? How do we kind of pull stuff from research? So fundamental research and how do I make it applied research? And then how do I transfer that to our sponsors to at least create a competitive advantage? Mm. So these are that's where the real bonus of some of these conversations happen, like in Boston, where I can talk and interact with others in a pretty good space of like-minded individuals, technologists, engineers, uh, futurists, where we can go, right, and in CEOs, like, you know, we're not just talking about anyone. It's There's some pretty good hitters there. Like, there was a vice president of USOPC was there, and he was talking about the power environment. I'm like, that's really good to hear other people's experience. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a baller trip. Like, there'd be so much, like, you just want to spend time with everyone. Yeah, and you can't, right? And then, <laughs> yeah. and then they overlay that with some students, so like PhD students, master yeah. students, showing what they do, and you kind of look at it and go, okay, there's some real good talent coming through. Mm. So, you know, when I was doing my uni course, there was no such thing as sports engineering; it was wasn't a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so now, there's actually people just dedicating their engineering or technology or data science careers to being a sports technologist. Wow. That's mental. Well, Paul, thank you so much for sharing all your insights and knowledge. Um, we could probably go on for probably about 10 hours. Oh. We could do some sort of 24-hour live <laughs> podcast and listen to your drop because there's so much stuff to dive into. But, um, yeah, thanks so much for sharing. Yeah, no, it's all right. Hopefully, like, as it kind of gives a snapshot of the day-to-day, right? It's It's a dynamic environment. We've got some phenomenal athletes and I really do encourage, you know, obviously this this podcast is doing a great job of promoting old cycling and we really love it. Like you've got some, you've had some cool athletes come on and, and really sort of um, share their experiences, which is really good. And I'll say that because I joined cycling nine months ago. Prior to that, I was in a different industry. So kind of one of the things I did was actually, I was on a drive between Melbourne and Adelaide to, to do yeah. a camp. Yep. And I put it on your podcast and it's like, oh, I get to listen to Plappy in Georgia and Wellsford. <laughs> and it's kind of got some cool insights. Yeah. But there are so many good stories in cycling. And look, we are building. You know, I'm really excited about what Glasgow. And for those who don't know, the All-In World Championships at Glasgow is going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, every we'll discipline. Be, yeah, every discipline, 10 days, <laughs> para, able. Um, yeah, it's going to be mental, right? It's going to be a feast. Yeah, well, our <laughs> operations manager, he is working hard to understand <laughs> this one. But, um, but yeah, no, get on board. Oh, cycling. Like, Australian cycling is is going great guns. And we've only really just – we barely touched the road. Like, you know, we've got so much good stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's heaps on there. So, everyone, make sure you follow me along, follow along on Instagram and follow the athletes and come, yeah, like – Paul said that Glasgow Worlds is going to be, it's a chance to watch your favourite athletes and your favourite discipline, but then while you're there, watch, you know, all the other disciplines and you'll probably pick up some more, um, you know, new favourite athletes or sports. Yeah, and then and then it's the path to Paris, right? It's 
all eyes, you know, we're only 500 odd days, like believe it or not, 500 odd days, 505 days from when we record this to the opening ceremony. Mm. To Paris, oh my God. Right, and then follow that up by, it's 530 odd days to the Paralympics in Paris. Like it is like, it is go time essentially for a lot of things. That's another episode of the Press Room Podcast done and dusted. Big thanks to Paul for coming on the podcast. He is a big fan of TPR and he was a little bit nervous about going on after Mads Pedersen. But you know what? I reckon he followed it up pretty damn well. The Australian cycling teams are in good hands with this mastermind and his crew of people underneath him. And um, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I am talking with another Trek member after this so 10 o'clock tonight got next week's guest on if you're a supporter of the patreon you would have had the opportunity to ask him a question on there which is another one of those benefits so check that out if you want to support the pod and um yeah legends i'll see you next week for another episode of the press room podcast presented by zwift see ya